you can. You can All right, awesome. Good morning, everybody. Um, I just, uh, just want to say thank you to Pastor Bevan and Pastor Clint um, for the invitation uh, and then um, for my for my younger brother over there um, for being such a blessing in my life um, yeah I don't want to say too much otherwise I'll start crying very very early and that'll not that won't work but I want to say thank you to Pastor Clint um, I heard of you way before I met you and the first time I saw your pick I remember as crystal clear as waking up this morning I saw your pick and I said that man's called and and for those of you that are part of their church and rebirth you know how much God loves a community by the pastor he gives you um, and um, and I don't want to I don't want to I'm, I'm not one of those guys I want to blow smoke on people and whatever the case may be but you need to honor and give honor where honor is to you and uh, I think um, I think this community of faith you're gonna see it grow in the years go by as the years go um, and then for you to have people like Pastor Clint on your team uh, God will bring I really believe he'll bring more and more uh, strong men into your community most churches are overly feminized nothing wrong with women but it's most churches are very girly and that's why men don't want to come to church you know and so it's awesome when there's a man's man that's pastoring a church and he can rally young men like this I also want to say thank you um, to uh, my buddy in the corner and Dane and there's a bunch of oaks here that came especially uh, and surprised me uh, so uh, brother thank you so much thank you, thank you. Thank you. alright um, uh, let me get started it is 10 to alright keep a careful watch on time you'll notice that my right hand has two uh, my fingers index and middle finger has been taped up and taped up because on Thursday uh, we were my brother took me and my kids to to the Drakensberg we took some time away with his wife and, and there was this hectic gust of wind at one point with the windows open and the door was very early in the morning and the door was about to slam and I jammed my finger in an attempt to not wake everybody up <laughs> I jammed my finger uh, fingers in there and uh, the result is very very blue fingernails that are, are on its way off um, and I the reason why I say that is just in the way of of introduction yesterday we were driving back home and we stopped at a at a garage and uh, Preston said I wasn't you know he said Let, let's go get something to eat and whatever so we went to a place and we ordered some food and part of my little drink my food was this little drink that came along with it and so I'm holding my stuff and I'm walking but because my fingers are in such pain and swollen and I just walked out I mean I walked 20 or 30 meters and I dropped my drink I didn't think much of it and and he turned around and said how did you do that like and I thought is this these fingers you know I, 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 you because it's so sore if you apply pressure you think you're holding tight but you're not you're not holding tight enough and because of that you drop 
And I felt this morning that there was, there was something in that. That we drop our children, we drop our wives, we drop our friends, we drop people in our lives, we hurt them because we hurt. We broken, we hurting in an area. And so it's hard then to hold on to stuff. You, those of you that are married, I know several guys in the room, um, counsel some of the guys in the room, and pain is common to everybody. Pain is common to everybody. I don't care how smart you are, how good, but you know, and hey, praise God for you. But I can tell you and guarantee one thing, pain will come knocking on your door if you just live long enough, right? And I don't want to glorify pain, but what I want to do is let you know that, and I know you know this, God desires to use us as men in a world, in a day when truth, the, 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 the beacon of truth is not all that bright, right? You've got, uh, you know, all the woke folk. You've got the rainbow people. You've got all this, you've got all this stuff out there and truth looks very smudgy. And I really believe there's a day, the day in which we are, is going to demand of men to stand up for the truth, even if you persecute it for it. So with that said, let me make this comment that I believe God desires to use men. He desires to use men. But in order for that to happen, you and I need to be authentic, integrous men. Authentic, integrous integrous men that are not scared to be transparent right I think I think there's a real problem with how we've sold ministry I came up in ministry when I, when I was at Bible school I was told you don't show your wounds don't you know what I'm saying that's for the people people need to look up to you you're a pastor you don't young don't don't do that my only problem was with that is that Jesus showed his wounds that the cross was an open display of pain and because he did it that way because he wasn't shy to he didn't die in a three-piece suit beaten whipped naked to the place of he was almost the scripture says he wasn't recognizable and that's the savior we have as the emblem of our faith, the focus of our faith. And if his pain became redemption for all of mankind, could it be that when you and I suffer and struggle and go through things, how you come through that, walking hand in hand with your Lord, with your savior, that people can say, there, there we go. There's something we can follow. Okay, so uh, I, um, I, I, I need us also to be in a place where we are immersed in the word. Because in order for you to be authentic, you need to be able to do some self-introspection. I had to, with a stupid little act of dropping my cold drink, I had to sit back and think, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. I needed to look at why I dropped it. And let me say that uh, it's not always fun because every single man in this room is broken in some area. Broken in some area. I want to speak to you on a it's, a, it's a, it's almost like three messages that I had to tailor into one. It's a bit of a hard assignment. But I want to speak to you on what I'm calling an autopsy of two men. An autopsy of two men. I want to look at the lives of two men particularly and take the scalpel if you will and you know what they do with a man somebody's dead 
an autopsy. They cut you open to see what was the cause of death. And so I want to autopsy two men to see. And scripture is beautiful because God doesn't hide the successes or failures of his, of his men. <laughs> he doesn't. He exposes it all. And so I've had, when you've lived as long as I have, and have a trail of mistakes behind you and hurts and pains and failures. Yes, successes and glory, great. But I would be a fool if I don't learn from my mistakes. And I'd be a fool if I don't learn from the, mis from the mistakes of men around me. And I learned very early on to listen to the counsel of people, whether they're younger than you or it doesn't matter. If wisdom comes from them, <laughs> then God's behind that. And you need to have the discernment to know when God is speaking. And so I'm going to challenge you as we autopsy these two men for you to take the scalpel <laughs> and allow God, give it to the master, give it to the great physician and allow him to fillet you and cut you open to reveal who it is you really are and why it is you are the way you are. Don't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 28, you have this picture, you have Rebecca basically. Rebecca is um, Isaac's wife and she's pregnant. And you know she's, if you know your Bible, she's pregnant with twins, right? Jacob and Esau are in her womb. And the scripture says, insignificant little verse, the scripture says that she, these two boys wrestle in the womb. And then she makes a statement that rocked my little world. <laughs> she said, if all is well, why am I like this? I'm saying to you, if all is well, why am I like this? And the response from the Lord is, there's two whole nations in you. <laughs> she must have freaked out. I asked for a kid. What do you mean two nations, right? And so, and, but the issue is, with God, the typology is there's, there's not just two nations in you, there's two natures in you. A man after the flesh and a man after the spirit. A man that hungers after God and desires to do the will of God, the purpose of God, and there's one that wants to do everything else. And Paul said, why is it when I want to do good? There's this other oak inside me that wants to do something else. And that's in every single one of us. I'm not interested in trying to impress you. I want to be authentic and transparent. Okay, so watching time. All right, so there's these two natures, one spirit, one flesh. And so it's important that we evaluate where we are, what's happening in us. Let me say this, if you don't prepare and prevent, you'll have to repair and repent. If you don't prepare and prevent, you'll be forced to repair and repent. And so, um, all through scripture, you see God wanting to do a deeper work in people and I believe that's what he wants for us today I've got to ask myself if all is well why am I like this um, so as we go on turn to Numbers chapter 20 Numbers chapter 20 I'm gonna get there this may not be new to some of you some of you may know this is pretty simple but I'm trusting for a, I'm really trusting God that there's going to be a work <laughs> in you of significance right numbers chapter 20 and while you're getting there um, let me say this God has a plan for mankind 
Amen, somebody. We know that, right? God has a plan for mankind. God has a plan for every single person on the planet. Let's make it more personal. God has a plan for you. There's a destiny, there's a call on your life. Here's the issue, though. That God's vision for your life, God's vision is a picture of his preferred, listen to the language I'm using. God's vision for your life is a picture of his preferred preference for your life. God's vision for your life is a picture of his preferred preference for your life, which implies you can mess this up. You can choose wrongly, choose to veer off, not follow God. You can muck it up, <laughs> right? He ultimately, God will work all things for the purpose of his will, right? We're not that powerful. But I'm saying you can shipwreck your own life with the decisions you and I take. Okay, so uh, what we see is that God speaks to Moses and uh, he tells Moses, hey, um, I want you to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt and take them into the promised land. And God uses that phrase numerous times over and over again. Here's the assignment, Moses. You're going to be the deliverer. You're going to take them out from Egyptian ca captivity and take them into the promised land. Over and over and over he says this. And um, what's beautiful about that is that you quickly recognize that this was not Moses' plan. <laughs> God put that plan in action, right? It was God's idea. And so Moses is just like you and me. When God calls you to do something, it wasn't our plan. It was his. But remember what I said. It's a picture of God's preferred preference for your life. So now let's read the text. Go with me to verse 2. It says, Now there was no water in the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our, when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? Isn't it funny how people grumble and quickly forget that they were in captivity? That, the, that we and our animals should die. And why have, you come, why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? This is not a place of grain and of figs and of vines or pomegranates. Nor is there any water, to, no, any water to drink. So, important verse, verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and there they fell on their faces and the glory of God appeared to them. So he has an encounter with God in the midst of all this complaining and these people that he's supposed to lead that should be grateful. <laughs> and they're not. Right? Verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, Gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield water. Thus you shall bring water out of, out of them, out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and the animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded. Verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, you get an idea that Moses is a little bit ticked off. Listen to the language. Yeah. Hear you now, hear now, you rebels. <laughs> Must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock. You're saying, oh, maybe he's having a bad day. Yes, maybe. But the scripture says he doesn't strike it once, he strikes it twice. With his, with his rod, and the water came out of uh, came out abundantly in the congregation and their animals drank verse 12 then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron said because you did not 
believe me and and hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I've given so hold it aren't we talking about the same God it says numerous times you the guy I've called you to take these people into the promised land over and over and over preferred preference for his life and in one mess up this dude gets muff takes his rod out and he beats the rock hits the rock not once but twice of course water gushes out people drink God however is not impressed <laughs> right and uh, God's not impressed at all and so what happens here is that God basically what God does just to give you an overview God takes Moses up on the hill right there and he says you see that over there in the distance that's a promised land but you're not going I know what I told you but you are not going <laughs> right you'll see it but you won't walk in it that freaked me out because God said repeatedly you the guy to deliver them and take them into the promised land and here's the issue right in verse 6 you see that he has an encounter with God so he's not backslidden he's not right he has, he's spiritually shut <laughs> right he's in a good place spiritually right but what happens is uh, even I mean, if you go back to Exodus 34 uh, he has these two tablets that God gives him and he comes off the mountain face shining so this man's got a relationship with God right but the issue is that Moses now is faced with the fact that God says you're not going to take him take these children of Israel into the promised land here's the thing that messed me up God didn't disqualify Moses because he had a chick on the side God didn't disqualify him because he had sin in his life God didn't say you've got a spiritual problem but so sorry you can't take them in he didn't disqualify him because he didn't have intimacy with the Lord God disqualifies him from fulfilling his destiny because he had an emotional problem not a spiritual one an emotional one there's a problem a dangerous one if we as men don't recognize how to handle the emotions your emotional life can derail your spiritual life okay so just 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 check this out remember what I said that God's purpose is a picture of his preferred preference he didn't have a Bathsheba on the side <laughs> right he, he wasn't messing around so this whole issue was because he had an emotional problem and the question is what kind of emotional problem He had anger he had an anger problem right so Moses gets righteously furious many times several times and God gives Moses if you check his lifespan God gives him many times to deal with this anger issue and he never does and eventually he smites this rock and God says I'm done you done this is over that scares me it scares me because if truth be told there was a time in my life that I glorified in the fact that I had a bad temper and there are men in this room that people know you and in fact in our communities it's we wear it like a badge of honor <laughs> don't mess with me out yeah and we do that like it's a virtue it's not a virtue it'll destroy your life 
Your emotional life can destroy and derail your destiny. He's got a temper problem. Now, listen to this. Proverbs 14, 29. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. Another translation says, A patient man is better than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. In James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, the first part talks about you being slow to anger. Listen to the second part of that, the B part. It says, anger does not bring the righteous life that God desires. And, and men are angry for lots of things. We're angry because our dads left, our mothers maybe have left, maybe our parents got divorced, maybe you were molested or abused or all hell broke loose or a wife left or whatever the case may be. And you've got a series of pain. And so what comes up in you? Anger. Anger is one letter short of the word danger. <laughs> John Climacus from the 60, he was born towards the close of end of the 6th century into the 7th, was one of the early church fathers. And listen to this. He was a monk in the Sinai Desert. He said, just as winds whip up a sea, so does anger stir up confusion in the mind. Anger blows out the lamp of the mind. It's a child's reaction to an adult situation. There's no greater obstacle to the presence of the Spirit in us than anger. But if you've studied psychology or you counsel as much as I do, you quickly learn that anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. We always get angry over stuff. So something else at the root of it. Right? And so... Uh, Let's take the scalpel out, right? And let's maybe just cut a little deeper and find out why Moses is angry. And you know he's angry because you go back. There was a time when he kills a man. Incidentally, 40 years earlier, he kills a man with his bare hands. I think Moses is angry. <laughs> right? 40 years goes by and the dude doesn't deal with his anger. Well, where does the anger come from? Scalpel deeper. You have to go all the way back to his infancy. Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 2. And they're killing babies because there's a promise of a deliverer to come. And Moses' mother has to put him in a little bushel basket and send him away. This is my speculation. It makes for terrible theology. But this is what I speculate. That can you imagine... The pain caused in Moses' life, not knowing his mom, not knowing his dad, growing up with foreigners, away from his people. What happened in the psyche, in the mind of Moses? Here's the issue. The reason why Moses had anger was that Moses had rejection issues. And the basis of most anger is really rejection. Yeah. Wow. Sure. And the men in this room, all of us, yeah. all of us have been rejected at some level yeah. or the other. Yeah. Right? I was seven, eight years old when my parents got divorced. Nine, eight when they separated, about nine when they were divorced. Rejection after rejection after rejection. I it just it, it, it just it plays out like a horror movie. By the time I was 10 or 11, I was molested by an uncle for nine months. Bridget, just, 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 it's like you can't tell anybody. I was a grown man a couple of years ago when I told my mother for the first time what had happened to me. Why? Just, just don't feel good enough. <laughs> Like who wants to admit to that? Yeah. Sure. 
right? How many girlfriends left you? Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. I, 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 rejection is an issue. And we've got to recognize. In fact, do you know that the scripture says that you and I were born rejected because of sin? That's why you need to be born again. <laughs> You're born into a state of rejection. There is good news though. I'm going to come to it just now. <laughs> All right. Okay. Watching my time, sir. Watching my time. Okay. So rejection causes trauma. It results in depression, low self-esteem, low self-worth, anger and aggression, fear of intimacy, self-sabotaging behavior, you name it. Stress and anxiety, PTSD. And we all suffered at some level. I'm going to leave this right here and I'm going to go to my second guy in the interest of time. I'm going to skip some stuff so that I can finish and hopefully we can just minister. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, we encounter another guy by the name of David. And David is the guy who was now caught by the prophet comes to him and says, gives him this parable and basically undercovers that or uncovers the fact that he was in an adulterous relationship with another man's wife that he actually got the guy killed. Right? <laughs> um, and then in verse 10 of chapter 12, listen to these words. It blew my mind. It says, You have, the prophet tells him this, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the Lord because of his sin. You have given great occasion to the enemies of God. Do, do not think for any one moment that your sin and my sin doesn't affect things. <laughs> right? Whether you know or not. I'm, sorry, I'm just... You realize here, David's got a lust problem. Right? <laughs> and um, he's got a... He's, and, and let me say, that sexual problem is very deep-seated, very deep-rooted. Right? And it's deep-rooted. And, 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 and men today who struggle with porn or, or, or multiple affairs or whatever the case may be. No condemnation here. But let me say, there's a deeper problem than just your lust. Your lust comes from somewhere. David needed approval. David had a horribly low self-esteem. And I can prove that. Right? Again... This need for acceptance. And you may ask, okay, where did this come from? Scalpel out again and let's cut a little deeper. <laughs> In 1 Samuel 17, 28, you will remember that's where David encounters Goliath. And if you've read that story, David comes on the scene, he checks this whole thing, and the first thing he gets is lip and attitude from his brothers. Yeah. Why are you even here? Yeah, we know. Blah, blah, blah. And they, 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 <laughs> I nearly said a bad word. And they, and they crap him out, right? They, they, I mean, they, they sort him out. They, and I wondered for the longest time, why would these brothers treat him with such disrespect? Why would his own brothers reject him like that? And then it hit me that the reason why they were able to do it was because they saw their father reject David. Over and over again. You remember the time when uh, it's, it's, it's 1 Samuel 16, just a chapter earlier, where, uh, um, yeah, a chapter earlier where the father brings out all the sons for the prophet to anoint. And they don't bring David out. Can you imagine what happened to David? What, what could have went through his mind? Why would you bring all these oaks out? Find them, my brothers. But why would you leave me out of it? Yeah. Why would you treat me like that? Again, I, would, I wouldn't share this in church because it is too sketchy. Let me tell you why. Because not all theologians agree with this. I happen to, and I'll give you scripture. <laughs> I learned that it was possible, it's a theory, 
that Jesse treated David that way because Jesse didn't believe David was his son. He believed that David was fathered by somebody else, that his wife had an affair. You say, where do you get that from? If you've got your Bible, go quickly with me to Psalms 51. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And uh, then you get to understand why David has this need for approval and acceptance. Hungry for affirmation. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. In sin my mother conceived me. Some commentators believed, really believed, that David was in fact the product, not all agree, the product of an of a adulterous affair. And that's why, because it makes no reason why this guy would treat his son so badly. And the only reason why he did that was because he didn't believe the guy was his son. So, let's back up. Where does David's last problem come from? It comes from rejection. Rejected from his own. David's rejection wound was so bad that he hooks himself up with Saul. A father loves the guy. Question, how broken must you be to love and serve a man that's trying to kill you? How, how, what's wrong with you? That a man, this father that you love, is throwing javelins at you to kill you and you love him. How big is your daddy wound? And because of that, he consistently, what's lust? What is, what is this desire for sex and intimacy with 50 women. We're, we're, that is a vacuum. It's a hole. It's a void. Because I don't have approval and don't value myself, I will seek to medicate with that. Something to think about. The sin we commit is how we medicate the pain we can't tolerate. The sin we commit is how we medicate the pain we can't tolerate. And so, David's insecurities, all of it, even <laughs> some, David had a temper too. You go and check how many people David killed. <laughs> Black, mass murderer, right? Yeah, he ate it. All right, almost done, almost done. So, I, I uh, the thing with the thing with rejection. I mean, it, it wounds us. And I I, I I found an article, not an article. I found something in, in one of the books I was reading, uh, and it's a guy by the name of Mike Iaconelli. His book's called Messy Spirituality, and I just want to read this to you, right? It says for almost forty years, Margaret lived with the memory of one soul-scarring day that in the classroom, in, one room, in, in, in the one-room schoolhouse she attended. From the first day Margaret came to class, she and Miss Garner had a bitter and harsh teacher relationship. They didn't get along. Over the years, the animosity only worsened until one fateful day, when she was nine years old, Margaret's life was forever altered. That day, Margaret frantically raced into the classroom after recess. Late again, Miss Garner was furious. She shouted, we've been waiting for you. Get up here in front of the class right now. 
Margaret walked slowly to the teacher's desk and was told to face the class and then slowly the nightmare began. Miss Garner ranted, boys and girls, Margaret has been a bad girl. I've tried to help her to be responsible, but apparently she doesn't want help. So we must teach her a lesson. True story, by the way. I want each of you to come up to the front of the room, take a piece of chalk, and write something bad about Margaret on the blackboard. Margaret stood frozen next to Miss Garner. One by one, the students began a silent procession to the blackboard. One by one, the children, the students wrote their life smothering words, slowly extinguishing the light in Margaret's soul. Margaret is stupid. Margaret is selfish. Margaret is fat. Margaret is a dummy. On and on until 25 terrible scribbles of Margaret's badness screamed from the blackboard. After decades of depression and anxiety, she had finally sought help and was having the last meeting with her psychologist. Two long years of weekly Counseling had helped Margaret to finally extricate herself, extricate herself from her past. The counselor said, Margaret, I know this will be difficult, but just to make sure you're ready to move on, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to go back to the school room and detail the events of that day. Take your time, describe how you felt, all 25 students. After a long silence, she, she began the painful description. One by one, she described each student vividly as though she had seen them. Stopping periodically to regain her composure, forcing herself to face each one of those students one more time. Finally, when she was done, the tears would not stop, could not stop. Margaret cried long before she realized someone was whispering her name. Margaret, Margaret, Margaret. And she looked up to see her counselor staring into her eyes, saying her name over and over again. Margaret stopped crying for a moment. Margaret, you left one person out. I certainly did not. I lived the story for 40 years. I know every student by heart. No, Margaret, you did forget someone. See, he's sitting in the back of the classroom. He's standing up. He's walking towards your teacher, Miss Garner. She's handing him a piece of chalk. He's taking it. And now he's walking over to the blackboard. He's erasing everything, every, every, he's erasing every one of the sentences the students wrote. They're gone, Margaret. They're gone. Now he's turning and looking at you. Margaret, do you recognize him? Yes. His name is Jesus. Amen. And he's writing a new, sen he's writing new sentences on the board. Margaret is loved. Margaret is beautiful. Margaret is gentle. Margaret is kind. Margaret is strong. She's of great courage. Margaret began to weep again. And very quickly, the weeping turned to a smile. And then into laughter. And then into tears of joy. Giaconelli writes, nothing makes grace more visible than the love of God and us knowing and showing His forgiveness. Love and forgiveness is central to the gospel. Love and forgiveness 
heals. Love and forgiveness is our only hope. While many see grace only as God's unmerited favor or little more than an acrostic for sermons. Thank you, sir. God's riches <laughs> at Christ's expense. But grace is deeper than that. Grace is the unconditional acceptance of an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Grace is God's one-way love. The good news is that Jesus loves you and he died for you and he gave you his best when he sacrificed his son for you. You are loved. You are precious. You are valuable. And he's madly in love with you. Amen. As I close, I'm almost done. And then we're just going to pray for guys and just minister. Most people are so wounded in their past and in their childhood that if you ask the average guy, if, if let's say you came to church and the pastor found a picture of you at seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And he said, I'm going to show the whole church that picture. Most guys are going to crawl under the, under the floor. Why? Because that little boy represents somebody you have come to hate. Why? Because that little boy reminds you of your weakness. You're weak. And here's the thing, guys. That little boy is the real you. This facade that you've got, that you, you guys looking good, all, and that's great. But this persona you've built is not the real you. That's what you've put together for the world. The real you is that little boy that may have been bullied, may have been teased, mocked, maybe abused. Maybe his mom left. Maybe his dad left. Here's where theology meets therapy. All right? And just indulge me. I'll be done in five minutes. And I will pray over you. I want to do something that therapists would do in a counseling session. Because I'm, I, can, I know that I know there are wounded men who have not dealt with that little boy that they resent. And what has happened is, you really ended up rejecting you. So if you'd indulge me, just close your eyes. And here's what I want you to do. This is going to be tough for some of you. It's going to be traumatic for some of you. But I want you to close your eyes and I want you to see yourself standing in an open space. And in the distance... In the distance, it could be a couple of hundred meters away, you see a little child, a little boy. And I want you to see yourself walking towards that little boy. And something strange about it, because as you get closer to this little boy, you realize that that little boy is actually you. The you you don't like, the you you've tried to run away from, the you you've tried to construct a totally different persona, but you don't want to be that little boy. And the problem with that whole scenario is God made you that little boy. And that's the real you. Your false identity needs to die. It needs to die. Because only when God puts the true you to death, can there be a res resurrection? There's no resurrection of a false self or false identity. And I want you to see yourself walking up to that little boy that's innocent, maybe scared, maybe weak, maybe unattractive, maybe whatever he may be, but it's you. And I want you to scoop down, maybe he's five years old, maybe he's six or seven. I want you to scoop down and embrace that little boy and accept that little boy we can't talk about rejection if you 
are rejecting you. And embrace that little boy. In fact, embrace him so much that you pull him into yourself. Father, in the name of Jesus, as these men envision and visualize the scenario, Father, I pray that you would heal broken childhoods, broken pasts where they felt rejected. Many have struggled with cycles of sin and not realized that the root of that was rejection. But Father, I thank you. Your word declares that you accepted us <laughs> into the beloved. And as weak as we are, as frail as that little boy is, that boy is love. That's the real you. And Father, I just pray that you'd strengthen, you'd heal those old wounds. People rejected them. Heal those old wounds. Let them realize how much they are loved. Like Margaret's story, they are accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. If you would... I must, I must, would you stand with me? Maybe let's do this and then I'm. Um, if you have had any kind of significant, suffered significant rejection in your life and you know You've got this bad temper, or you've got a lust problem, or you've got... And it could be a whole host of stuff. But you recognize the reason why I'm there. Because I'm really a broken man. And I'm broken because that little boy was broken. I dropped the cup because my fingers are hurt. And I'll keep dropping things in my life if I remain hurt. And if that is you... It's not a call for salvation. It's a call for God to heal that broken place in you. If that is 